You're listening to UCW Radio and your face. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Oh, have I got your attention now? You know what I mean? Why did you a place like this? Money never sleeps, but I'll... You're crazy. Don't run when you lose. Don't whine my head. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass ball, ball, ball. I'm falling, and I can't get up! All right, welcome back to Money Never Sleeps, the show where we touch on anything that impacts the flow of money from small business and private equity to real estate and commodities. I'll be joined shortly by John Dennis with the Private Equity Insights segment. And then we'll be bringing on Bobby V to talk about Silicon Beach and the Silicon Beach real estate scene. It's going to be interesting. Uh, we're going to, we'll be getting insight to what's going on there. It's It's pretty interesting over there. But before we do that, I want to let our listeners know that we will be releasing our monthly digital magazine called, but what else, <laughs> Money Never Sleeps. And we will be profiling some power players in their perspective arenas. We will have articles on luxury and commercial real estate, private equity, and so much more. And it's a free edition. It doesn't cost you anything, so make sure you show your support. And, uh, yeah, you may uh, find it really interesting. Now, what I want to do, I, w- I want to talk about Commodity Deals 101. Over the past decade, the increase in individuals claiming to be physical commodity traders has hit astronomical proportions. It's really ridiculous. This is on a global basis from the U.S. to Russia, China to Africa. You know, there are a few reasons for this. And those reasons have made it extremely hard for legitimate physical commodity players to sift through all the nonsense. Uh, one of the top reasons for this is the Internet. Yep, the Internet helps with this as it does with anything else. Uh, what has happened is that many people have used this as a tool to connect with buyers globally. Now, is this necessarily a bad thing? No, it's not. It's the world we live in. You need that. You need the Internet to connect with people. And it just makes the world a smaller place. So the Internet is definitely a positive thing in, in most uh, in most situations. The problem here and the problem that lies in this is some cases, in some cases, these efforts come straight to gold dust, uh, not only gold dust, but also crude oil, cement, sugar, and, and so on and so forth. Okay, you have even, you know, real estate agents that also jump into the game, uh, which further clutters things because they think that they have the next big thing because someone reached out to them, and that's what happens. They see something, uh, somebody contacts them on the Internet, sends them an email or something, and they think that they are commodity players. But, you know, you have to be careful, people. You have to be careful. If you're a real estate agent and you're getting those emails, make sure you know what you're dealing with. You know, don't get excited with the pie in the sky, going to make a gazillion dollars and retire type of deal. You know, because that's the furthest thing from the truth. Now, I'm not saying that you can't go out there and generate business. You sure can, but you have to do it the right way. You have to do your research. You have to do your homework. You need to know what you're, what you're dealing with. Now, these offers that, that come out, 
uh, in some cases come from documents that have been shot through cyberspace, touching everyone and anyone, only to be recycled and spit out again as a new offer, an offer that doesn't even really exist. And I have seen not dozens, but hundreds and hundreds of such offers that come from people that have no authority in making an offer of to, to sale or to, to sell or purchase any commodity whatsoever. Uh, they're using that to fish for information. So what happens is this. You may have a legitimate buyer that uh, would receive an offer. Now, in order to move forward, that buyer would be asked to supply this information. You're going to love this. Uh, you know, they're going to have to pr uh, prove their financial capability, give their identification, which is a passport and their address, uh, of course. And, you know, the things that would give someone enough information to rob you blind. I mean, you're giving your passport, you're giving this, giving that. All of a sudden, you know, someone's pretending to be you. And this is part of the issue out there is the level of fraud is ridiculous. And you have these people that are just really just lining up and, and doing things that are beyond anything normal. You know, so the process is non-disclosure or, you know, say that type of, uh, that type of offer, you know, uh, look, when, when a buyer puts their information, and within a document, you have to make sure that you know who the seller is, who's who's supplying this information, because you can be getting something from a party that is, I don't know, not even part of the deal. You know, you can get this from someone that just took information and put it all together from different documents that they may have seen to make it seem legitimate, and basically you're, you're giving your information to, for someone that can commit fraud. Because they're, they're looking for your passport, they're looking for your, your banking information, uh, and whatever else that they're going to ask you for. You know, this is all the information that they need in order to com commit fraud, so you have to be careful. And, and those agents out there that are, that are doing this stuff, that are getting involved with it, you just have to be careful. And, and I touched on this topic a number on a number of occasions now I'm touching it on money I'm touching on this topic on money never sleeps because I think it's important and I'm doing this as a service to anyone that may find the truth useful in avoiding wasting their time dealing with uh, quote unquote uh, brokers or consultants that are really 15th man on the deal team or on the totem pole or worse they're just looking to extract information to use to rob you blind to commit fraud and that that's a bad situation because, you know, you're not dealing with things in the United States. You're dealing with things all over the world. So if you get someone that reaches out to you from, you know, Catman Zoo and you're looking to get something done and you furnish them with all the information, not knowing if they're a legitimate supplier or not, you just opened yourself up for something that can really bite you later. So please be careful. Uh, now, with that said, anyone looking to jump into the physical commodity scene, you guys need to make sure that what is being offered is genuine. Because this is zero tolerance. Uh, zero tolerance level has grown internationally. Meaning, if you don't know what you're doing and you get involved in, in fraudulent activity just, you know, by being, you know, giving your information to someone and trying to, you know, throwing your name on a quote-unquote consultant's agreement, a fee protection agreement, because you think that that's protecting you in some way and you give all your information, 
guess what? You're party to whatever whatever situation is taking place. So if some criminal activity is happening, well, you are in the mix. Okay, so if you don't know what you're doing, you know what? Don't do it. Okay, there is something called Interpol, as well as national agencies that are cracking down on this type of activity. All right, so there are a number of genuine buyers out there. There are, because, you know, they, they, they're there. And they're looking for genuine product. So my only advice that I can give someone that is looking to get into this scene is take the time to target genuine suppliers and build relationships with them because if you do have buyers you can actually close deals and make things happen so with that said i want to touch on the commercial real estate industry actually in commercial real estate period <laughs> uh new york is buzzing on the luxury real estate scene and you'll read about that in the money never sleeps magazine um yeah a lot of things going on in new york a lot of power brokers out there uh but make no mistake with new york city mayor bill de blasio rezoning certain areas that have been uh for lack of a better word destitute um the commercial real estate game is in full swing in the outer boroughs it's really interesting, and developers are actually licking their chops to get a hold of the next sweet project that they, that they can get their hands on. It's really, um, it's really, uh, we, it's really an interesting time right now, uh, to say the least. But that's not the only uh, thing that's moving. Commercial leasing is booming, and this is important too because it's not just a sale or the selling of buildings or, you know, with the acquisitions and dispositions. It's about leasing as well because you have to get people to lease, and that is an important part of the commercial real estate game. Uh, especially in Manhattan, you know, commercial leasing is booming. Believe it or not, there are so many entertainment companies sprouting up, and if they're not sprouting up, they're relocating to New York City. And they're coming in size. And that's keeping building owners pretty happy as the lease, rate, the lease rates from downtown all the way to Upper Harlem are rising. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. They're rising. Because the occupancy rates are rising and the lease terms are rising. So when you take stuff off the market, guess what? It creates a situation. Okay, and what you what you wind up dealing with is a supply and demand issue. So if the available space is not available, then it will be a task to get space reasonably priced for your business. Okay, and and there's something that you can actually do about that. You know, don't don't get me wrong. You can find what you're looking for, but doing it on your own is not the way to go. You need to find the right broker, have that right broker in your corner. It'll make your job a thousand times easier. Okay, you, you know, you're building a relationship with that broker, and that broker is going to have relationships with building owners, and that comes into play, and that will actually help you. You know, rattling off listings, there are so many, you know, a, you know, agents and brokers out there that'll go rattle off listings from COSA or other commercial real estate listing sites. Only, you know, that only does so much. That only does so much. You can't be a desk jockey in the world of commercial real estate. You have to be out there and you have to be in, 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 in contact with the powers that be 
because those those players out there are the, are the ones that, that are going to help you to make deals happen. All right, I, I help clients find what they're looking for at realistic lease rates, you know, that work for their business. You know, I can tell you story after story, uh, but I guess the most annoying situation is when a client contacts 12 brokers, 12 brokers, and they'll do it, and has you running around looking for the right space for them only to find out that they've been calling everyone in town. And what that does, if you're good at what you do and you're a good broker, what this does, it takes time away from you. And you wind up spinning your wheels because, you know, you wind up crossing paths with someone else that they reached out to. You know, how do you work with 12 brokers if you're looking for one space? That doesn't make any sense to me. You know, how can a broker help someone that is shopping around? Very hard to do, and it's time-consuming for the client, but more importantly, it's time-wasting for the broker. And that broker is working so hard to put together situations that work. If you have a good broker, stick with them. For those that are looking for commercial space anywhere in the country, the advice that I can give you is this. Find yourself a quality broker. Meet with them face-to-face and let them do their job. This is going to save you time, allow them to bring in the right situation, and allow things to work out properly for you. You know, there are so many good and qualified commercial real estate brokers out there that, you know, you need to just look to find the right one that fits you because not every broker fits every client. So it has to be the right thing for you, okay? All right. Anyway, uh, now it's time to get into uh, private equity. And I, I hope me speaking about the commercial real estate uh, arena actually helps someone out there because it is important. Okay, so now uh, let's get to private equity. So at this time, let's bring on John Dennis with the private equity insight segment. John, how you doing, buddy? Good, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Now we're all ready for a dose of uh, your private equity insight. What's going on in the world of private equity? Well, we are seeing uh, some uh, some very good growth within the, the first quarter. Uh, second quarter numbers aren't out yet, but uh, the amount of fundraising again this year is increasing, and um, we're seeing that um, that increase uh, again, as as stated previously, points to more of that acceptance. Of, uh, of these funds within uh, the marketplace today. And um, to me, it also points to uh, uh, the nervousness, well, the, I should say lack of nervousness uh, that was previously in the market about tying up assets for several years uh, within a uh, private equity fund structure that now seems to, to not be the, the focus of concern. Well, let me ask you this, John. Now, someone investing in private equity, you know, you have a lot of people that are conservative with their investments, but when they invest in a private equity fund, that kind of allows them to be somewhat risky, kind of, without actually being risky directly. Right. They, they're able to uh, focus on more private investments within that 
structure, there is inherently more risk because these are not, um, although they've done their due diligence, these are not the same as a mutual fund. Uh, it's not the same as a, as a listed stock. Um, so it, it, it comes under some different set of, of rules. However, um, you know, there is the, the ability to do that due diligence and uh, and mitigate some of that risk within that fund structure, of course, by looking at uh, the general partners, looking at their track record, looking at their previous funds, looking at the different sectors or the investments that they're putting inside of the fund. So there are obviously uh, ways that you can uh, mitigate that risk and, and be able to uh, make intelligent investments within private equity. And with what you do, John, you you help to raise capital for these private equity funds. But you have you have two different levels that that you work with. You know, why don't you uh, share that with us so that our listeners, you know, they they know uh, the different uh, just to get more insight on private equity, so they know the different levels in the world of private equity, okay. especially with what you do. Are you referring to the, the amount of the, the capital raises? Yes, yes, the, the capital raises and sizes, yes. Well, we we tend to focus on more of a niche area, which is the $100 million to $500 million uh, funds. What, what I do see presently is there's a lot of smaller venture capital funds in the $50 million range that are coming to marketplace more so this year than in years previous that I've seen. And and that also is a, a signal of acceptance because in years past, smaller funds lower than $100 million by institutions were not accepted at all. There was, there was ne- never a, a great deal of participation from uh, even family offices, registered investment advisors, uh, uh, fund to fund, any of these uh, these people who deal with emerging managers would typically would not invest in less than a uh, hundred million uh, because that was their way of also mitigating some of that risk. If if they're investing five million dollars in a fund, they don't want to invest five million into a fifty million dollar fund and be a majority uh, shareholder or unit holder. Uh, that, that's concentrating your risk. So they would typically look at uh, beyond the hundred million uh, and, and look at two hundred million to, to on up to a billion dollar funds. But now there's companies like uh, NCAP in Texas that are doing seven billion dollar funds, crazy nine billion dollar funds. I mean, they're the, the extent at which some of these private equity funds has dramatically changed from, you know, a hundred million to a billion. Now from a billion to nine billion. So we we tend to focus on the, the smaller end, that um, that Goldman Sachs, Credit Suisse, J.P. Morgan, Barclays, and all of those big guys uh, don't want the KKR. They'll kick to the curb because there's not enough revenue in it for them. Um, but I focus on that area because, to me, that gives us not only the, the niche to separate ourselves from the big boys, but it also, typically, there's more alpha. And it, it, it's a lot more 
if you're going to get a higher ROI or return on your investment in a in a hundred million dollar fund than you will in a Paulson's twenty six billion dollar fund. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a lot easier to steer the ship. At a hundred million or two hundred million than it is to steer at twenty billion or twenty six billion. No, I agree with that. I agree with uh, that. Just, it's, it's much more difficult to get double digit returns in a twenty billion dollar fund than it is in a two hundred million dollar fund. So, so you see now though also um, a lot more deal flow in the lower end. Uh, I'm seeing a lot more uh, smaller deals. Uh, that are being put together within the 100 million, 200 million, 300 million dollar funds, and, and I'm seeing a greater number of 200 million dollar funds than I am of 2 billion dollar funds. And and with these so, the, with these smaller funds, they need someone like you because the big boys, as you mentioned, Goldman, Blackstone, KKR, you know, they won't they won't they won't move a pencil. For anything less than you know X amount of billions, so you do have funds out there that are looking to raise, you know, ten, fifty, a hundred, two hundred million dollars, and for them, their their options are either try to do it yourself or bring in someone from the outside like yourself to get it done for them. Well, and and, and as I mentioned, I think before, it is much more cost effective. To uh, rather than build out your own internal investor relations department uh, team at, at three times the salary, the cost is, is three times the salary of each employee when you're done with all the taxes, health care, recruiting costs, training costs, etc. And uh, it, o- Obamacare doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that helps towards creating our part-time society we've uh, now uh, uh, are able to focus on. Um, but but it's um, yeah the, the healthcare costs also factor into the building out that internal team uh, definitely. But these um, these companies are, are are far more advantageous to to pay that cost of a placement agent who's already have the relationships and introduce those relationships. And, and take some of that uh, deductibility for paying those fees and, uh, and be able to accomplish that uh, quicker uh, than it would be to, uh, to build out an internal team. And, and these uh, smaller uh, PE firms and venture capital firms also, they do not meet the uh, investor mandate for the larger uh, institutions like the pensions and endowments, you know, the CalPERS of the world. They're very selective. Their mandates require certain levels of track record, certain years of history, certain uh, levels of assets under management. And if you don't meet those mandates, those requirements, call us back when you do. And it doesn't matter who you are. Right. You you could be George Soros uh, breaking away from uh, from Soros Investments, and, and if you don't have a, a team that that has an existing five-year track record, it doesn't matter who you are. Hmm. Well, that, that, that's very interesting. Um, you know, John, what I'd like to do, if we can, you know, can we talk, let's talk about the dynamics of a private equity fund. 
because I, you know, I think that our listeners, you know, would uh, find value in that, especially if they are looking at uh, investing in private equity and a private equity fund or firm. And uh, you know, they, we can give them some useful information. Sure, sure. And, and uh, in particular, what what were you looking to uh, to um, to bring to light? Oh well, now how the structure is, you know, with with the uh, the board of directors and uh, and the different dynamics within the fund, so that when they're looking at it, they can kind of get a basic idea of what of how what the moving parts are within a private equity fund. All right, and, and keep in mind that uh, the first place to start is always uh, at the, the most uh, at the beginning, which is the separation between um, the general partners, uh, which are, are typically the, the guys who are going to be managing the fund. Um, the, those those individuals who are uh, within the private equity community who formulate. Uh, the structure of the fund with their counselors uh, will go ahead and, and uh, set up uh, typically as in the past uh, it's either a, a 2 and 20 structure or a 1 and 20 structure and that means that uh, management charges either 1% or 2% um, and uh, they charge that management fee on a year by year basis and, uh, and then there's also the um, uh, the twenty percent of the performance fees, which uh, they get to to keep, that's their hurdle rate. Uh, they get paid before the uh, uh, before the LP investors get paid, um, and uh, and and that's t- that's typical in uh, in the marketplace or um, uh, for that type of um, structure. Um, for a PE fund, um, you know, it's not, uh, there's some deviation from that, but that's the basic model. Um, the LP investors, of course, the limited partner investors, are, are a, a range between, uh, as, as I mentioned, we focus on an area that is, is uncommon to private equity. We focus on uh, the uh, registered investment advisors, which uh, those guys will... Um, Typically, they're wealth management guys. They're they're focusing on uh, primarily uh, ultra high net worth investors managing money for ultra high net worth investors. But today, since there's been that shift in wealth that uh, I've discussed before, uh, from away from the pensions uh, into registered investment advisors, their client base now has grown from uh, from the CEO to now insurance companies, private banks. Pensions, endowments, and foundations, and uh, and subsequently, this is where now they uh, they really uh, are able to uh, control uh, larger amounts in excess of twenty trillion dollars of wealth uh, on an international basis. So it so there is a um, been a dynamic shift uh, from the institutions to a more uh, fee based type of uh, uh, registered investment advisory structure, and uh, of course family offices have grown, you've seen more wealth acquired within various uh, families that have set up a, a single family office structure, um, 
so so you you know you're seeing a, a change in the in the uh, uh, type of uh, investors within these private equity funds. Uh, you get sovereign wealth funds now that have grown uh, from uh, the, the Saudi families to uh, families in, in China, families uh, throughout Asia, uh, throughout Europe. Um, so you have more fund of funds now investing in private equity, uh, and that tends to be very uh, a good uh, avenue for a lot of the high net worth investors who want more of that layers of risk mitigation, more layers of management. They feel more comfortable. The, the larger institutions won't invest in fund of funds, but the high net worth guy will. And then you deal with these high net worth investors. Yes, and we, we have several thousands of relationships with with these various uh, high net worth investors, and and we can we can offer everything from uh, sub advisory on managed accounts uh, and helping uh, some of these registered investment advisory firms uh, broaden their investor base to private equity funds who have never had the private have the high net worth investor invest in their funds, um, and uh, venture capitalists also who are looking for um, uh, high net worth investors, because th some of these high net worth investors are much more receptive to, especially like venture capital funds or some private equity funds, where there is more risk, uh, because their underlying investments are more speculative. Mm -hmm. uh, you get some of these family offices will pride themselves on on uh, in, and investing in unique things, more niche-type investments underlining within the fund. So so those are the, the, the type of LP investors that we deal with, which really are more of a fit for the, the, the private equity firm on Fund 1, Fund 2, Fund 3, that are, uh, especially in Europe, that are looking to expand within the United States. And the the private equity uh, funds and firms out there that are looking to raise capital, they would utilize you to do this and build those relationships. It's much yes, it's much more quickly quicker to to hire us to introduce those relationships than for them to try to manage these investments and uh, find these relationships at the same time. When it's also marketing. And, and, and everything, and it takes time, effort, and money to do so. So uh, dealing with you, they, uh, they're ahead of the curve. Uh, exactly, and also, as I mentioned, since our firm does have more vast distribution channels, I like to think of the fact that we are ahead of the curve uh, comparative to the Blackstone, the Goldman Sachs, the Credit Suisse, who are simply marketing to the larger pensions, endowments, and foundations. Especially when you've got um, uh, Detroit uh, restructuring their pension fund, you've got Chicago in jeopardy of having to restructure their pension, and and the city of uh, New York, Manhattan, having to have their own difficulties with restructuring their pension. Um, there's a lot more uh, underfunded other types of pension funds that are in jeopardy. So I, I think that uh, marketing to these various registered investment advisors and other avenues like family offices puts us ahead of the curve because we won't be experiencing the issues 
that the Goldman Sachs and Credit Suisse and Blackstones will be experiencing in the near future. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, why don't you uh, why don't you let our listeners know that may have an interest in what you're doing how to find out more about you know what REO Capital is doing, you know because I I think that you know if if they are looking to invest in a private equity fund or if a private equity fund is looking to hire an outside consultant, why not you? Well, I think that that we're as I've mentioned to other uh, PE firms, it's it's not the number of funds that dictates whether the placement agent is going to raise uh, capital for your fund uh, should be hired. Uh, you know, it, it, it does. It's not measured by some firm that's doing a hundred capital raises a year, or twenty capital raises a year, or two capital raises a year. That's not what is the deciding or should be the deciding factor because inevitably people, general partners who are making decisions based on those variables are going to find themselves experiencing an expensive lesson. And that lesson is that what's most critical when you're looking for a capital raising firm is are the LP investors they represent and the relationships they have are they specifically geared for your type of fund? In other words, if you've got a uh, first-time fund or if you have don't have a five-year track record and you don't have $500 million under management and you've got a very uh, kind of a niche fund of your own, the institutional guys like Blackstone and, and Goldman Sachs are not going to be right for you. And, and don't be misled into thinking that because they're bigger, that means they're going to raise capital sooner. That That's not true. That's not a, that's not, that's, that's a naive thought. And what, what is really the truth is, is that LP investors will look at certain types of funds and certain LP investors will make certain types of investments. And if you don't hire the placement agent that that will fit your type of fund, then you're going to waste your money spending $10,000 a month on a retainer and 3% success fee of all capital they do raise. And I do tell people, because people ask all the time, the question, uh, which is, to me is ludicrous, is how quickly can you raise the $100 million or $200 million or $500 million? Well, and I tell them, you know, by the time uh, people send out your your uh, pitch book PowerPoint, send out the legal documents, set up a conference call, uh, three to six months can go by very quickly. So there are a lot of placement agents out there that will that will tell people, sure, we can raise a hundred million within twelve months. And I tell people, if somebody says that to you, run quickly the other way. Because it, it, there is no guarantees in this business. Just because your name is Blackstone, or just because your name is Goldman Sachs, or Credit Suisse, or J.P. Morgan, or Barclays, doesn't mean that they're going to have an easy time making a few phone calls and putting, you know, five hundred million dollars into your account within uh, twelve months. All right, well, that's not the way. I mean. 
Nobody's Houdini. Nobody's going to be able mm-hmm. to wave a magic wand over the phone, make a few phone calls, and presto changeo, you have $500 million. Well, there's no magic. There's no magic in finance unless you have special powers, which not too many people yeah. have. <laughs> and there's no guarantees. Nobody offers guarantees except for annuities. Hmm. So if you want a guarantee, call an annuity, put your money in, get 3% with a guarantee, and, and there you have it. That's it. So now, why don't you, uh, I know we do it every week, uh, but why don't you give uh, your website and give your information so that anyone out there listening, if they want to find out more, they can find out more, John. Good. It's uh, www.reocapitalllc.com. And uh, we have, as a matter of fact, something rather unique that we're offering. And in today's day and age where, uh, uh, of course, some of these uh, technology companies are being acquired for $16 billion, $19 billion. <coughs> we're looking at trying to put together a very talented team of board of directors who are not just board of directors, but they're also JV partners that will share in the revenues of our firm, and we're offering a very lucrative return uh, for those talented individuals. And they they can find out more about that uh, by contacting you, right? Exactly, and there's also, um, on our team page, there's also a link uh, for more information on that. And uh, uh, I always tell people, you don't have to invest in the next Snapchat to get a, or Facebook to get a lucrative return. There you go. There you go. John, thank you for the uh, private equity insight. It's always uh, insightful <laughs> every week. And uh, we'll, we'll, have you, we'll have you on uh, next week as well because you're, uh, you're a permanent fixture on Money Never Sleeps. Okay, on, on that note, uh, stick with us as we bring on uh, the Silicon Beach uh, real estate scene uh, right after these messages. This is AP News Minute. Sunni militants turned over the bodies of 15 Shiites to authorities in Kirkuk, the latest sign of the sectarian violence gripping Iraq. Speaking in Cairo, Secretary of State John Kerry signaled U.S. discontent with Iraq's Shiite Prime Minister, Nouri al-Maliki. Kerry said the U.S. wants the Iraqi people to find leadership that's inclusive and represents all of Iraq. Former U.S. Attorney General Dick Thornburg is recovering in a Pittsburgh hospital after suffering a mild stroke. His wife said it happened on Saturday, and doctors are optimistic about his recovery. Amateur and professional cyclists from around the globe gathered in Sarajevo, Bosnia-Herzegovina, to take part in the Sarajevo Grand Prix, a race to promote peace and commemorate 100 years since World War I. Ned Barker, the Associated Press, with AP News Minute. All right, now we're back on Money Never Sleeps, and now it's time to bring on Bobby V and the Silicon Beach real estate scene. California. All right, Bobby V, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, good. What's up, Lewis? How are you? Uh, no, doing good, doing good. We're looking forward to hearing your uh, your input on on Silicon Beach because a lot of things are going on over there. But before we do that, I want our listeners to get more familiar with you. So why don't you give us a brief synopsis on uh, who you are and what you do? 
Okay, well, I, as, as far as I'm concerned, I'm kind of living the dream. I came from the Bay Area where I was a top producing agent for 13 years, moved here about a year ago, and uh, I live in Venice, work at Abbott Kinney Real Estate, which is right smack in the hub of everything, all the excitement going on right now, and I'm working with all kinds of different people, um, high-end real estate, flippers, you know, uh, investors, people, tech companies uh, starting up looking for commercial space, a lot of people buying commercial space and incubating, uh, you know, smaller startups, so it's a lot of fun, a lot of retail stuff going on. Well, you got a lot of action going on there. A lot of action, every day, all day long, it's so much fun. Well, that, that's that's a good thing because it allows you to enjoy your job a little bit. I've always enjoyed my job. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but you, you were a top producer in, in the Bay Area. You went down there to Silicon uh, Beach where, you know, we you know we we know it as Venice Beach, but now it's Silicon Beach because of what's going on over there. You know, what, what, yeah, give, give us a little, you know, a, a little background on what's going on over there because some people may not know. Well, you know, I think uh, Venice Beach is, is one of the, is the last beach city to kind of come back up and turn itself around. Santa Monica came up, Manhattan Beach, Redondo Beach, and Venice Beach used to be a place where, you know, I'm hearing on a daily basis, parents wouldn't let their kids off the bus on Abbott Kinney, if you can believe that. It was so bad. And so now, it's just crazy. Google's here, Snapchat just bought a couple of buildings about a block off the beach, Facebook has a presence here, Bitcoin is here, although they're controversial right now, but... Everybody's here, and, and things is, are really exciting on a daily basis. And, you know, what I'm enjoying so much are all the young people coming to the area from everywhere, from the Bay Area, from San Francisco, from, San Francisco, from New York City to start up their own businesses. And I, and I think it's really it's, it's cool to be part of that and get behind it and help them find, you know, either whether they're, they're buying a building or they're looking for a, a commercial Lease. Um, it's really a lot of fun on a daily basis to be here right now. No, I mean there's nothing. There's nothing better than uh, living in paradise and you know doing what you love to do. You know. Um, so so tell us. You know, with the with the tech companies that are going over there. You, you mentioned Google, Facebook, and you know Bitcoin. I'm sure you, we're going to see Twitter and everybody else now. All these startups. You know, in in uh, the Silicon Valley. You know, there was a big explosion over there. I mean, you had property, you know, prices that went through the roof. Now you see that right. mag, you see that magnet actually happening where you're at right now. That's why you're there because, you know, well, what did they ask Bonnie and Clyde? They said, "Why do you rob banks?" Well, because that's where the money is, and you're going, right. and, and you're going where the money is. And right now, the the big money is flowing into Silicon Beach. You know, um, so, I mean, how, if you had to gauge the growth in that area, how, how would you gauge it? You know what, right now it's hard to gauge. It's just on a daily basis, it's, it's running, run, run, run. The people that call, you know, for starting, it's not just the, the tech and the startups, it's people now are coming from everywhere to start retail or open shops, open restaurants, and there's just, it's almost right now like there's not enough 
space, you know, retail or commercial space for people. It, it's happening so fast on a daily basis. I wouldn't even know how to gauge it. We're all just kind of running, you know, with it. And, uh, you know, for, fortunately, we have, you know, I've got access to off-market properties. Um, and so we have the ability to, you know, find things that are, you know, snapped up by other people right away that are on the market or the MLS or, you know, LoopNet or any other venue, which is good because that way we can, you know, I can make sure to take care of clients when they call and find them a state. Well, let me ask you this, because, you know, with that type of growth that's going on over there, if you have a lot of tech tech companies, tech startups, incubators, and everything happening over there, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, there's been a slight rate increase in on the commercial end and probably also on the residential end with uh, oh. with sales and, per- and, uh, and rentals. Absolutely. Like I was saying, you... You know, not long ago, you could get a space for at least $3 or so per square foot for commercial space. Now, we're on we're at an average of $10 to $12 per square foot, anywhere close to Abbott Kinney. It's starting to, you know, spread over to Rose Street now. But, the, the, you know, Rose Street's wonderful. The, the thing with Rose is that it's only got about a block and a half of restaurant and retail, and the rest is all residential and, a, you know, a little bit of live work type stuff going on so it's everybody is kind of focusing right in when they call us they're like well we want to be on Abikini or we want to be within a block or two of Abikini and you know there are there's even some spaces that are 15 16 dollars per square foot and and the only there are a couple of homes that were on Abikini that were residential have now been uh zoned commercial which took about three years and but their zone commercial where they're putting in little cute restaurants in those or the guys opening a sock type store or all kinds of stuff. But we just keep spreading out all along Abitini. So it's just a really exciting time right now to be here. And, you know, I don't think I saw it coming because I've been here a year and I came just to live the dream and work in real estate and in Venice. And I, I didn't imagine uh, things being so amazing and, uh, it's just a cool time. It's really neat. Well, let me ask you this: You have, you, you mean, you said the rates went from about three bucks, maybe four bucks a square foot on commercial, to ten, twelve, fifteen dollars a square foot. That's crazy. Crazy. Wow. Yeah, and people are, yeah, people but are willing to pay it. It's supply and demand, I guess. It's supply and demand, and I, you know, as as things continue to change, as these shops, you know, all along Abikini, there's some amazing, I mean, every shop is completely different than the next one. Every restaurant is different. Every coffee shop is different. We've got, you know, first Fridays on Abikini. And I think that as all of that starts changing, it just becomes, you know, the place to be uh, with every single week it's changing and going up. I mean, for instance, I have a building for sale right now, uh, right back in the middle of all the action that, you know, the, the tenants are, it's for sale now and the tenants that are there start up, right? They're not a startup anymore. They're doing great, but they've been there for three years and they're willing to pay. I'm not going to give away what they pay. 
not my right, but they're willing to pay four thousand more dollars a month just to get to stay there. Wow, and then and that's so, and that's after yeah. the sale. They're looking to make that type of deal. Right. Well, they're hoping that that's going to sweeten the deal, and it should actually, because you know we're we're listed at two point five, and this building, in fact, it's it's two uh, residential homes joined together that are now zoned commercial. It's a really cool space, and I love like every day I'm. I am showing that building that the people come to work, and this is just part of Venice. This is what it's like living and working here, or getting to work in the in the tech, you know, startup. They they come to work either walking or they come on their beach cruisers with their dogs in their baskets, and they open up the big double garage doors, and everyone's just hanging out, you know, talking on the phone, doing their thing with their dogs sitting on their their desk, most of them. It's just, it's really cool, but for this building, you know, for an investor, you think about it, it's two and a half million, and somebody's going to pay the amount of rent that these people are willing to pay just to stay there, is, you know, that's a, that's an investor dream as well, because you cover your costs. Well, as long you know, as... You it's only going to, yeah. Yeah, the cap rate is there, and everything makes sense, you know, wow, you know, who, who's better than the person that's going to buy the building? Right, you know, yeah, and the people that are that are in there are amazing. So, I mean, that's just one of the many deals going on here in Venice that make a lot of sense for people. And, you know, buying the single-family homes, whether you're you live around here or not, you buy a single-family home, and you can you can get, you know, our rents now. You can't you can get a one bedroom for thirty five hundred right now. Wow, those those are New York yeah. prices. <laughs> yeah, New New York prices with the beach. Oh, with a, with a beach view, you can't you can't beat it. You know, you know, you're going to be a weekly fixture on the show, and you're going to be speaking about a lot of different things. What I want to do um, is go back to the listing uh, that you have, the commercial space. You know, can you give without? You know, I know you don't you don't want to give out the address, but if you can give out some specifics on the um, on the building itself. You know, so that hey, okay. there may be a listener out there that's, that's interested in some uh, property on Silicon Beach. You never know. Silicon Beach. Well, the, well, like I said, the cool thing about this space, and one of my favorite things also, side note, about Venice and some of these buildings is that from the outside, they don't look great. You know, there's some of them might look like a dog, but you walk inside, and like in this particular space, this the one side of it that was a house, they have this huge, beautiful table that they use as a conference room, but they have a, and then there's a full bathroom right there, there's cement floors, vaulted wood ceilings, and then they have this beautiful kitchen. It's, it's, it's like, I mean, I wish I could live there. If, if I could afford the, you know, outrageous rent, I would love to live in both the spaces. They have this kitchen, the whole thing is cement floors, they've got these huge double garage doors and this huge space for people to just put their desks and, and, you know, the way that they get to work in there is amazing. It's all ready to go. There's two full baths and um, it's right on a corner. It's walkable to, you know, it's like a half a block off of Abbott Kinney. Is, is it one block. store? Is it one story or two? Well, it's kind of it's kind of, I guess you could say split level. So when you, the one side of it, the one um, original building, 
is now adjoined by like three steps. So you've got this huge open space with a with a, a full bath and the garage doors that I was speaking about. It's kind of an L shape. Mm-hmm. And then you go up these three stairs into this beautiful kitchen and this whole other I guess it's you know, it could kinda of be like a huge one bedroom with a full bath. So it's technically I guess split level, but it's not it's it's just two it looks like two houses, literally. Hmm. You never know what's going on in there. It's it's just it's so cool. Well, if that's going to be uh, another uh, acquisition going on in Silicon Beach, and I'm sure that that's going to get scooped up pr- pretty quickly. Now, uh, yeah, Bobby, so. yeah, Bobby, uh, just uh, as we're this is towards the tail end of the show, so I just want to get your information there, you know, out to our listeners because, as I said, you know, uh, you're going to be a regular fixture on the weekly show. You know, why don't you let the uh, the listeners know how to find out more about you first thing and second thing how to find out about that listing because you know of course you're going to have details on your website that you that we're not speaking about here right well my website is bobbyvogel.com b-o-b-b-i-v as in victor o-g-e-l.com and anywhere on social media i'm bobby v realtor on twitter on Instagram on any of the venues. Um, I've got a Facebook page, and the properties on my blog, um, along with other things, and uh, you know all kinds of information about me and any properties that we have. And of course, like I said, there's lots of properties we have access to that are not on the market that you're not going to see anywhere. Ah, pocket deals. You gotta love the pocket. off. <laughs> gotta love the off market stuff. I love that. Yeah, because you're you're yeah. bringing something that they normally can't get. There's nothing better than that. Okay, so yeah, yeah so that's cool stuff. Well, you know, yeah, well, the, you know about the pocket listings. This is really it, the other cool thing about Venice is yes, it's in, you know it's in Los Angeles, but it's almost like it's it's. I mean, it's it's a little tiny village basically. So the people that are here and live here, you know, even though they're having a hard time, you know, the old. The, the people that have been here for years and years are having a hard time with the gentrification, most of them. But, it, you know, it's it's doing amazing things for this little town, and that's exactly what it feels like to the people here. And that's how we all have knowledge, you know, of the off-market deals, um, just because of the vibe of this town, really. Well, you know what? You're there. You went there. You went from the Bay Area to Silicon Beach. And you're looking to make a statement, you know. You were top, you were top broker over there, and over here you're going to be one of the top agents uh, in the area. I'm pretty sure of it. I see that happening. And for all the listeners out there, especially the ones on the West Coast that are looking to make investments in the area, you know, check out Bobby V. And uh, if you're looking at Silicon Beach and you're a tech company, definitely check her out because she can help guide you uh, along the way because you know she knows the lay of the land. And she'll, she'll, and she knows the owners of the properties. And I spoke about that earlier in the show. If you know the owners of the properties, it makes it easier for you to make a smooth transi- transition uh, to uh, getting the either leasing or buying the property that you're looking to uh, to acquire. Okay, but uh, Bobby, I want to thank you for giving your Silicon Beach insight. Uh, I love it. And for our listeners, you know. Uh, Make sure you uh, tune in next Monday, and we're going to have some more interesting uh, information coming from Bobby V, coming from John, and coming from myself. And 
we're gonna we're gonna be bringing on some interesting guests, so uh, it should be uh, should be a lot of fun. Okay, and also, and I and I said this at the beginning of the show, saying it now again at the end of the show, and I'm gonna leave you with this: make sure that you check out the Money Never Sleeps digital magazine that's gonna be coming out end of the month, and you'll hear some uh, input from Bobby V on Silicon Beach. Until then. You know, hopefully you have a profitable week and come back with us next week and uh, we're going to make this as interesting as possible. You're listening to UCW Radio and your face. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Oh, have I got your attention now? Relax. You know what I mean? Money to be made in a place like this. Money never sleeps, pal. You're crazy. Don't run with me. Don't whine my face. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It's brass, 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 brass. I 